0: I'm Teddy Cahill, and joining me, as always, is not Joe Healy. Joe Healy is out sick today. We have a slightly different schedule as a result. I will be joined instead by Jeff Pontus, pinch-hitting for, for Joe here on the podcast, and then uh, going to talk with Bradley Smart about the start of ACC play here in the second half of the podcast. Uh, a lot to get to today. Uh, we've got preview of weekend four of college baseball which is highlighted by the start of ACC play the start of Pac-12 play some other intriguing series and we got some news items to get to so a lot a busy day here on the Baseball America College podcast and Jeff I'm uh I'm happy you're here for it we're we're obviously sad that Joe is sick but we are we are happy that you are here to uh to, to take the pinch hit or to come out of the bullpen, which would you prefer? Would you rather be coming out of the bullpen or, or pinch hitting?
1: I, I'd like to come out of the bullpen. And I'd like to think I'm one of those like hardos that comes in with like a full <laughs> sprint, you know, just cause like, I'm really jacked up to be here. So um, Excellent. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, hope Joe's in the mend and you know, too bad. Cause I obviously love listening to, you know, all of your insight. And uh, the last pod that you guys did at the beginning of the week, um, you know, with Joe obviously coming from, from Shriners. Um, a lot of good insight there, and um, a lot of just you know good talk about the specifics of each game and the situations and stuff like that. And I I always really enjoy that insight that you guys provide each
0: week. Well, we really appreciate it. And Jeff, uh, just to you haven't been with Baseball America that long. This is your BA College Podcast debut. So uh, if folks want to follow you, that's uh, Jeff Pontus BA Jeff with the G. And you you host your own podcast in the the BA family of of podcasts, and so why don't you tell people a little bit about that podcast and, and where how you come at college baseball and and, and how, how you came to be uh, you know involved in the, in the college game.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a new podcast that's out. Um, We've been on hiatus for a week. I've been waiting for a couple of MLB contacts to get back to me on days that they could talk to me. They all got back to me like within an hour. So that's probably good. But uh, it's called the 90th percentile. And really what I try to focus on is bringing someone that's smarter than myself about the analytics side of the game. Somebody that's, I'll say, applying the analytics um, to pitching uh, and player development. We'll get into some hitting as, as we go along here, but we've been primarily focused on pitching. We've had folks like Tom House on, uh, Chris Langen, who's one of the, the, the training coordinators at Driveline. Um, we had on a former and now uh, a professional uh, pitching coach, but he was a, the former college pitching coach at uh, Elon for George Kirby, that's Sean McGrath, who's now with Seattle. And then we had Nick Ladolo on, who talked a little bit actually about some of the work he was doing um, pre-draft at TCU um, on the soto and some of that stuff. So I find that really interesting. Um, as for sort of, um, you know, my angle with the college game, I grew up in New England. Uh, I grew up about 20 minutes from uh, the Bourne Bridge. So, you know, baseball during the summer and the Cape Cod League was always accessible to me. A lot of my, my friends from high school and kids that I played with growing up uh, played in the Cape Cod League, so I was obviously really familiar and just love it. And so, um, a lot of my passion for baseball comes from um, being introduced to it at a very early age in the Cape Cod League, following the college game, you know, understanding the importance of it. And uh, I spent all summer working uh, for Perfect Game and uh, College Ball and covering the Cape Cod League for Perfect Games. So, I saw about 30, 30 to 35 plus games uh, this summer. And, you know, obviously familiar with a lot of these players, guys that, you know, have become bigger transfers and et cetera, especially this summer where there was so much activity in the portal. Um, so I'd say that, you know, my, my, my job is really to focus on the professional side of things, the minor leagues this year. Um, but my passion, you know, uh, deep down is, is really college baseball. And there's just so much to cover on, on a week to week basis and so many games to watch. So um, it's a beautiful thing.
0: It absolutely is. That is one of the great things about having 300 Division One teams and, you know, a thousand other college teams, too, that now are, like, all streaming their games and everything. It's, uh, it's a wonderfully, uh, you know, accessible product. So we're happy to have you, and uh, we're, we're happy to, to have you here on the podcast to, to break some things down. Let's start today with the, the news of the day. As we record this, this is Thursday, March 10th. And the day started with Texas announcing that Tanner Witt is going to be out for the season. He is going to undergo Tommy John surgery. Uh, if you listen to that podcast that, that Jeff referenced earlier, the, the one that Joe and I did at the start of the week, we talked about how Witt had been scratched from his start Sunday in Houston and that David Pierce at the time had said that they you know it, it was more of a precautionary move, that Witt didn't feel 100% and it was too early in the season. Uh, to push any pitcher. Uh, so now that that's, that's what we heard on Sunday, a few days later. Now Texas is, you know, they've gone back. They've done more tests on wit, you know, more, more valuation. And the decision is that he needs Tommy John surgery. He will be out for the year. Obviously that's a really tough blow for Tanner Witt. It's a tough blow for Texas, which loses its number three starter. You know, we'll, we'll see where, where things go from here, from, from, Texas's perspective, you know, I mentioned on Monday that, you know, Lucas Gordon would already be in most teams rotation. So, you know, he should be able to just slide in that that is who started on Sunday, uh, you know, in wits place. Uh, they also have Andre Duplantier, the second, who's been a pretty good pitcher as a midweek starter, although he did give up seven runs against Texas State on Tuesday. His two midweek starts had gone much better than that. They have plenty of other guys they could put into the rotation if they wanted to, but nobody else is really stretched out as a starter. So I assume that it's going to be Lucas Gordon uh, going forward. Jeff, what are your thoughts on uh, on what all of this means, I guess, both for Texas and for Tanner Witt, who is a premium prospect in that 2023 draft?
1: Yeah. And, you know, the timeline here, you know, we're looking, maybe he returns before next year's draft. There's a possibility that, you know, um, with all that could be at risk, maybe he takes it slow and he could be a guy that comes out and you know, pitches a starter two and returns to the Cape or something in that early portion. Now that we have a later draft, um, but we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out. It's unfortunate timing for wit, um, particularly with his prospect status and the opportunity he had on, you know, one of the premier teams in college baseball and having a weekend rotation spot. Uh, he's an exciting pitcher to watch too. There's velocity. He's been up to 97 um, big shape on the breaking balls, you know, a slider that's improving. Not a bad change up either. Um, but I think for Texas that, you know, they, as you said, and I was going to bring up the fact that you had mentioned it earlier in the week when, you know, there was still some, some ambiguity about uh, Witt's injury. Um, but they have Gordon, you know, their position, this is a top tier program that has a depth of talent. So the guys that, you know, are in their bullpen in their midweek rotation, um, their swing guys, like in this case, Gordon, they're better positioned uh, to sort of weather this storm and, you know, keep chugging along than maybe some other programs are. It's still not great though. I mean, it's still not great to lose any pitching depth this early in the season, having to replace it. And now you're one more guy down with, you know, more potential injuries that could come over the next several months. So um, it's, it's not like it's, you know, uh, uh, something that Texas can't bridge. They can certainly move forward from this, but, it does still hurt the depth, obviously, a little bit, especially when it's a premium talent like Wit, where he's one of those kind of, you know, um, underclassmen, we'll say, where you kind of expect that the guy that you saw in February and March, it, once they get along to late April, May, you know, in tournament time, those guys are clicking on all cylinders, and, you know, they're, they're pushing for your number one starter type of position. And I think Wit has that kind of profile, it's unfortunate um, just as a college baseball fan to not be able to watch it. But, you know, I do think uh, Texas will weather the storm.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it, the, the depth piece of this for Texas is is re- wh- where they really take the hit. I mean, the, the rotation was one of the big attractions to Texas as being the best team in the country. I've said countless times that this is the best rotation and the best pitching staff in the country. And you've now taken one of those... Big pieces away from it. The, the two guys that you know, remain in the, you know, from the opening weekend rotation, Pete Hansen and Tristan Stevens have been excellent to this point. Tristan Stevens has yet to allow a run for that matter in three starts, you know, so you still have, have that going for you. And, you know, Lucas Gordon is a guy that came out of high school uh, with a fair amount of, you know, he was, he was a very high pedigree player in high school. We haven't seen what he can do you know, in the Big 12, you know, we don't, we don't really have that level of experience with him. He didn't pitch as much as Witt did last year, uh, but he'll get that opportunity now and he should be ready for it, uh, you know, to, to be a good Sunday starter. But now you're talking about a slightly lessened Texas rotation. And, you know, that is, that is tough. Uh, You know, some, somebody's going to have to step up and, you know, we'll see who, who takes that opportunity. They've gotten great, Work from uh, from the bullpen to this point, led by Aaron Nixon, and as their closer. But Luke Harrison has come in and as a freshman and been very good. And uh, you know, guys like that are just going to have to to keep coming on. And you know, Texas still has a little bit of time before Big Twelve play starts. They're at South Carolina this weekend. That's a diminished South Carolina by their own injuries right now. They're they're without Julian Bosnick and and a couple other arms. Uh, And we just saw them get swept by Clemson. So it's not, it's not an easy weekend by any means, but this is also not like peak South Carolina that Texas has to go in and deal with this weekend. So I'll be interested to see how they go about not so much setting up the rotation, but setting up the bullpen now, uh, as they now have time to, you know, last Sunday was a thing that they found out like the day before that they might not have wit and now they'll have had time to, to prepare for it. So I'm curious this weekend to see how they go about with that, that time to prepare.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a test too. I mean, you know, South Carolina, you know, they get swept by Clemson. They got a tremendous start from, from Will Sanders on Friday night. And, you know, I think when you have that kind of talent and, you know, the ability to hit for power, like they do in that lineup, they can sneak up on you, um, you know, and maybe take a couple of games. So, it's, you know, it's, it's important for, for Texas to keep it rolling here, keep the momentum going and uh, not sleep on a South Carolina team that might've been swept by a very good Clemson team, but, you know, certainly is dangerous in their own right and, and mighty talented.
0: One last note on Wit: It's going to be very interesting to see what the plan is for him from here. And it's obviously way too early to know that, like the, the, they just decided to have surgery, but he's having the surgery now in mid-March, and that's a time on the calendar that, you know, things could go either, you know, one of two ways. He could be back really in time for opening day next year. Generally, college players recover a little bit faster than um, the major league players. I think mostly because the they don't need to get to as high of a level to be back to, to full go. So he could be back opening day ish next season or he could take a little bit longer in rehab he could be missing well into next season or, or maybe the entirety of the season you know we'll just have to to wait and see but uh it it, it is interesting that the timing of this it, it's not a case where he's just automatically lost next season but we also do have to understand that anytime you go under the knife Um, you know, you can't just look at it and say, well, most people are back within 10 to 12 months or whatever it is, you know, so we'll, we'll see where where that one goes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the the difficult thing with Witt is it's just, you don't know he could be back, as you said, round opening weekend this time next year, or, you know, it could, it could be the entire season. There's just a lot of uncertainty. Had this injury happened two months earlier, um, as silly as that is to say, it's probably better timing for him in Texas. Frankly, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. These uh, these things don't happen on anyone's schedule, though, and they are happening far too often these days. Uh, but we'll uh, we will keep tracking Tanner Witt as uh, as that develops. But it is a it is a tough blow for Texas here uh, here today. We mentioned South Carolina and how they just got swept by Clemson. Clemson is one of three undefeated teams left in the country, Clemson, Purdue, and Virginia. Uh, This weekend, Clemson plays Northeastern. Virginia is at Duke, and Purdue gets Bellarmine. You had a chance to see Clemson's opponent this weekend, uh, Northeastern. They, They played in the midweek against Massachusetts, coming off of their Northeastern's big series sweep at NC State. Obviously, you didn't see the uh the weekend arms that were so influential in that series sweep at NC State but uh, I know you've seen those guys before and, and and you were able to see the huskies hitters at least uh you know this week what what do, what do you take away from northeastern uh you know after last weekend going into this weekend and, and beyond
1: yeah I think the big thing with northeastern is just the consistency and it's not necessarily there from game to game. Uh, you know, from from a mid-major standpoint, they have probably as much talent as any of the mid-majors that are out there. You know, they have a weekend rotation that features two draft prospects. I mean, obviously depending upon how you vo- view Cam schlittler or Sebastian keen where you rate them in the draft, regardless, they're, you know, top, we'll say 6 to 10 round type of players at worst. Um, you know, that's, that's decent firepower for a mid-major. I think that's where their advantage is, is if you get good a good outing from Schlittler or Keen, you can hang with just about anybody. Um, they have a big freshman in Mike Serrata, um, who's one of their recruits. He was a Dodgers, I think a 16th round draft pick last year in the 2021 class. Uh, ended up not signing with the Dodgers going on campus. He's a six one, really projectable center fielder. There's fields to hit. He can run. It's it's true five tool ability, um, and then they have you know some seniors and 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 upperclassmen um, that just do a lot of the little things well. Um, just sort of classic northeastern ballplayers in a lot of ways, where um, you know they do what they have to do to produce runs. They're not necessarily big pro prospects. Maybe you have one guy who's more system depth or something like that, but. Um, They try to manufacture runs. The pitching staff was pretty good. The bullpen's been pretty good. They've added someone like Dennis Colloran, um, who was another, you know, top 2021 draft prospect, didn't get um, drafted. But I think, you know, certainly talking to some area guys around here last week, they kind of put him on the same plane as a Shane Panzini. Um, That's a, you know, a guy that's throwing 95 with a, a, a heavy running two scene fastball out of your bullpen. That's an advantage that, you know, even a lot of, we'll say power five schools don't necessarily have. So what they kind of lack for offensive firepower, they do have a lot of talented arms. And even in the midweek, you were sort of seeing that um, they, they had a kid. um, I'm going to draw a blank on the first name, last name Yost, you know, sitting 89 to 91, um, you know, with a nasty sweeper at like 78 to 80 and it was 30 degrees out. So you know, I think that there's talent in, the, in this rotation. They've recruited really well over the last couple of years, including a couple of big freshmen that they've brought in. So, you know, Clemson is a great team, and it's going to be tough for them to sneak up on Clemson after sneaking up on NC State last week. But it wouldn't shock me if they did take a game, particularly if they do get a, a good outing from Schlitter again.
0: I applaud Northeastern, first of all, for the aggressive scheduling of a home game in, uh, in March. Uh, So I don't know how long that was on the the table for, you know, some of these Northeastern teams, they they take advantage when they can get those home games in early in the season. And uh, so props to Northeastern for that, from that standpoint. But yeah, no one is, no one is sleeping on Northeastern. You know, I don't really want to think NC State was last week anyway, Uh, but there is no doubt that Monty Lee is not going to have to convince anyone at Clemson that they need to take Northeastern seriously after what happened last week in Raleigh. And so that is a big advantage that the Clemson has over NC state is that, uh, you know, they, they can put on the tape and see everything that that happened last weekend and, and Clemson players are well aware of how good NC state can be. And, and so no, no one is going to going to be snuck up on this weekend by, by Schlitter, or, um, yeah. Keane or, or Wyatt Scotty, And, and, uh, you know, we'll see what those Clemson hitters have because this is a test for them uh, in the last weekend before they start ACC play.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's clever scheduling by Northeastern, not a bad opponent for Clemson either. Um, coming off of South Carolina, you get a mid-major, but, you know, a couple of good pitchers that can test this this lineup that's been stellar so far. I mean, you look at Wagner, Ingle, Grice, uh, Blackwood, who I believe is a transfer this year as well, so I'm a little on the Cape you know, Hawkins and French, you know, every single one of those guys has an OPS above 950 right now. Um, so they're getting on base, they're hitting for power, the, you know, the swing and miss issues that have been, um, you know, plagued French at times and Grice, the numbers are still there, but they're getting on base and they're hitting for power. And, you know, that's going to produce
0: runs in this lineup. You said that Northeastern winning the game here would not surprise you. I think that's more than fair. We also have Virginia, undefeated at Duke and Purdue at Bellarmine is there an undefeated team in college baseball come Monday Ooh, <laughs> that's a tough one um you
1: know who's Virginia who's UVA have again they are at Duke oh all right See, that's another tough you know conference series um I want to say, you know, the best chance is probably probably still still Clemson. Um, just looking at some of the other undefeated teams, yeah, I don't know. We, we I would say probably not. <laughs> it feels like it's been a long run for the, there to be as many undefeated as, as there's been. I know Wake Forest lost on Tuesday, so they lost that.
0: Yeah, we lost Wake Forest and Tennessee Tech in midweek action. Wake Forest was at Coastal on Tuesday and lost, and Tennessee Tech uh, was up at Auburn last night, and then Auburn came back for, I think it was a 4-3 to win. I guess that was a neutral site game. They weren't at Auburn. They were at Huntsville. Uh, But, yeah, we are now down to three from five, just just from the start of the week.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Oregon State has obviously been, you know, absolutely rolling, but, um, you know, they're, they're facing a, a stiffer competition this week as well. And, you know, they lost Will Frisch. We'll talk a little about that later, but um, so, you know, there's some, there's some questions there too, as to how they hang in there, um, you know, conference play begins and they're at Washington state. So another team that could potentially take some losses.
0: Yeah. It's uh, I, we, we are right at the, the edge here, I think of, of where the undefeateds come to end and um, you know, Purdue is the worst of these teams <laughs> But they might be the last undefeated. They have obviously the easiest path to it in Bellarmine, which I don't want to just completely discount. But uh, you know, they're they're definitely not. You know, it's not a conference series. You know, or or a a team in Northeastern that made um, made regionals last year. So it's uh, it's a little bit of a different story for Purdue. And I still am not really clear on how good Purdue is or isn't. The the thing I can say for Purdue is that. Uh, well, I guess I can say two things. One, they've played it entirely on the road to this point or away from home. They actually haven't played many true road games. A lot of these have been neutrals, uh, but mm-hmm. they have yet to play in West Lafayette. That changes this weekend. And two, they really turned over the roster uh, from last year. They brought in a ton of transfers, both from junior college uh, and and from the portal. Uh, and a lot of those players are, are playing, playing well. They're playing an aggressive style of offense, as great golf teams will do they're intriguing at this point. We'll see what happens once big 10 play starts. But if, uh, if there is an undefeated team, uh, come Monday morning, I I think we're looking at, at the Boilermakers, uh, really just thanks to the schedule, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see how this weekend plays out.
1: Yeah, that tracks. And they're just one of those teams that like you, like you said, there's, there's an element of mystery as to like how good are they actually? But, um, you know, Notre Dame, I think snuck up on some people last year. So, maybe Purdue is that mid that Midwestern team that does so this year.
0: It can happen. It can happen. All right. So let's, uh, let's head out West. You mentioned Oregon state, uh, which, which heads to, uh, to Washington state this weekend, the PAC 12 opens, opens conference play. We've, we're getting PAC 12 conference play a week earlier this year as a result of the creation of the PAC 12 tournament. That's, uh, it's knocked a week off of their regular season and forced them into uh, into an early opening, which is fine by me. Um, The ACC doesn't have to get all the love this week. I see some really intriguing teams out West, Uh, you know, Stanford off to a, a strong start, Oregon state, uh, you know, off to a strong start, just that one loss on Sunday to, to UC Irvine. Um, You know, Utah is is a bit of a surprise. Arizona's playing well. Uh, UCLA of course coming off of a great weekend uh, in Houston and just looking forward to learning a lot more about these teams. Uh, Jeff, as you've looked through the PAC 12 um, you know, what, what do you like? What do you, uh, what do you see uh, out West?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's always a team out West that kind of sneaks up on you every year and, you know, overperforms. I felt like last year that was, that was Oregon a little bit. Um, this year so far, it's been USC. The opponents haven't been great, and the schedule doesn't get any easier this weekend with UCLA. But kind of interested because they have, you know, an athletic lineup. Um, they run fairly well. Um, they have a, a decent catcher back there in, in Gilmet, who I, I know I saw a little bit this year with with Orleans this summer. Kind of interested to see if if USC can get anything going because they typically, you know, haven't been certainly the class of the PAC 12 for a very, very long time. Um, but I know it is a program where they've made some investments and, you know, tried to get sort of back on track. So interested to see what happens with USC. I think that Oregon state is um, and, and also UCLA are just in prime position to, to keep on rolling. Oregon state has, in my opinion, in Cooper um, a true sort of college front of the line, you know, Friday night starter. Um, unfortunately they lost Will Frisch, but it is a fairly talented lineup. I think they have one of the better um, freshmen in the country and Travis Benzana out of Australia. Um, really interesting player for 2023 just makes it makes it into the class actually. Um, so I'm interested, you know, to really sort of, uh, cue in a little bit on the Oregon state, Washington state series. There's also only, I believe one team, uh, Arizona state, if I'm correct, that has a losing record right now, uh, in the PAC 12
0: I believe that's correct. And Arizona state is the, you know, there's an uneven number of teams there. So Arizona state is the one that's not playing conference games this weekend.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, But, and, and, you know, they're another team that's obviously brought in a handful of transfers. Arizona, speaking of transfers, lost a few, but seems to not have have missed a beat whatsoever. Um, You know, they're playing well Stanford every single year, year in and year out is, is consistent. Um, you know, they, they always have a couple of arms that maybe are underrated from a pro perspective, but know how to get outs and especially play that sort of West Coast style of game um, where it's typically lower scoring and, you know, runs are more manufactured. It's not slug ball like it is in the SEC. Um, but Stanford has, you know, a powerful lineup. Um, you know, they have a trio of hitters there. Brock Jones, um, Tommy Troy, who I thought was tremendous for me this summer down the Cape uh, and got a good, good lineup. They're deep in terms of their pitching. Um, and Cal is another one that interests me too. Um, The record isn't great. Um, We saw them against FSU this week, but there's still some pitching there. They have one of the top players in the conference and Dylan Beavers. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. My guess is that, you know, when we we take a step back in a few months and look at the standings, it's going to be Oregon state and probably UCLA. I thought it would have been Oregon preseason or, you know, Arizona that was competing maybe behind some of those teams in Stanford. But, you know, Oregon took a a fairly big loss this week um, with Adam Mayer going down to injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out for, but that certainly shakes some things up in their rotation. I know Andrew Moziella was already underperforming. He's out of the weekend rotation. So they're having to replace a couple of key spots here uh, for an Oregon team that has kind of been up and down so far this year.
0: Yeah, there are, uh, if you look at the projected rotations that are coming out right now for the first weekend of Pac-12 play, it's a lot of TBDs in there. Uh, Cal is going Josh White, TBD, TBD. Uh, Oregon has a TBD on Sunday. A lot of teams still just looking for the right assortments uh, in their lineups and in their rotations. And some of that is as a result of injury. Some of it is because we're three weeks into this season here. I that UCLA USC series this weekend is fascinating to me. USC is nine and two. Uh, they're on a seven game winning streak right now. They've not played as Jeff said much of a schedule to this point. Uh, we're gonna find out how real that nine and two is this weekend in a hurry. Uh, because going to Jackie Robinson Stadium is uh, is gonna be a tough one for them. Uh, but you know, they'll be up for it, you know, they'll be up for the rivalry. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to learning more about USC. Jaden Agassi, um, whose uh, parents are both famous tennis players, you know, is, uh, has, has pitched really well there. And, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how he does against a, a, a tricky UCLA offense. Outside of the Pac-12, sticking with it out west, Gonzaga is headed to Long Beach State this weekend. Uh, this is a new series. It was not on the schedule before, like, I think it was Tuesday they added this thing. Uh, Long Beach State was supposed to go to uh, to Nebraska. There's bad weather in the middle part of the country. Everyone is changing up what their, their plans were. And uh, as a result, Nebraska canceled that series. Long Beach State was able to pivot and bring in Gonzaga, which was supposed to play Missouri uh, at Missouri over the weekend. So it all works out um, pretty well for, for everyone involved, ultimately, uh jeff what i want to do here is talk about the zags pitching more than anything else um this is a team that won the west coast conference last year was in the mix to host last year uh came into this year again as the wcc favorite they had gabriel hughes that was kind of the name that i think everyone knew because he pitched for team usa over the summer and he's been very good i i no way want to downplay what Gabriel Hughes has done as their Friday starter but then you throw in William Kemper uh who's throwing really hard from a really low arm slot and Tristan Vierling lit up Oklahoma State on Monday and you have what looks like a pretty intriguing rotation uh I guess first of all just what do you see from the Zags and second of all have you ever seen anything like what William Kempner does just in terms of velocity from that kind of slot
1: yeah, so I think I was digging into maybe Shane McGuire last year as we were doing, you know, draft prep when I was at Prospects Live. And I typically would when you know you use Synergy, we had access to Synergy like you like we do here. And you know, I'll set it to 93 miles per hour plus and just see how a hitter handles um, increased velocity. And Kepner kept showing up. And I I remember taking like clipping the video and being like asking one of my my, my friends, being like, who the heck is this guy? And is he really throwing 96 miles per hour from this incredibly low sidearm slot? And it's like, yeah, he hit hundred miles per hour confirmed this weekend. Um, That's in the trackman as well. One of the lowest, uh, release heights that you'll see. Um, it's substantially lower than what I would consider to be a low release height. Um, I don't know if I've seen many, Justin Lawrence is probably the only other pitcher I can think of that, was this low slot that threw as hard as, as Kempner does still having some command issues. Um, You know, the walks are still an issue for Kempner. He's got a, a (laughs) 6.19 walk per nine right now, which, which isn't great. Um, But at the same time, it's a very different look that you get from day to day from Gabriel Hughes coming in with a more traditional sort of power pitcher profile, and then having to face more power stuff from a completely different slot in the following day, and then bringing Veerling in afterwards. So I think what's really driving the zags early here is that
0: they have as good of
1: front line starting as anybody in college
0: baseball. It's uh, it's it's really impressive. Like this team was really good last year, and you know they they they've turned over a lot of a lot of things that that they did. You know, the, those players are just gone. Um, you know, Gabriel Hughes stepped into Friday nights and is doing a great job at it. You know, he's been more of a two-way player in the past, but he's, uh, he's, he's been incredibly steady there on Friday nights. This is a team that only has two losses on the season, and they both come against Oregon State. And, you know, we if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know, today or, or any time in the past, like, year, you know how good Oregon State is this year. And, you know, that's all that Gonzaga has in in the L column is, is two opening weekend losses uh, in surprise. And I, it's just been very impressive to see uh, the way that the Gonzaga has built this thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if, you know, some of this can continue if Kempner's control either improves or if it catches up to him, these issues that he's had. Uh, But for right now, they're a lot of fun. I hate that this series uh, to the best of my knowledge is not on TV this weekend because it's a late edition it doesn't look like beach is going to stream it, which is like the worst thing and I, I, I hate yes. even talking about series that people can't watch, but like this one it should just be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it was like that uh, the Cal Florida State series where they played the Friday night game and I think maybe the Sunday, but skipped the Hubbard start. And I was like, I wanted to see Hubbard against a really
0: good lineup. Come on. <laughs>
1: um, it was kind of the same feeling. So, yeah. I, and, and, you know, it'd be great if that wasn't the case, considering these are two premier West Coast teams facing off this weekend, um, you know, that have already had some signature wins early in 2022 as well.
0: I imagine there's going to be a lot of heat for this Hughes-Luis Ramirez start on Friday. Luis Ramirez, uh, you know, of course, pitch, has pitched really well all season, and most people got to got a taste of that on opening day when he went toe-to-toe with Landon Sims. Jeff, have you been able to, to look at anything that he's done this year versus what he was doing on the Cape? Because it just feels like on the Cape he was a little more... I don't know. It, it just feels like there's a little more oomph to what he's doing right now than what, what he did this summer.
1: Yeah, with, with Louis Ramirez, it's funny. I so I had um made it a point of emphasis to see like as many draft guys um before the draft in, in, in June when I was in when I was in Chatham for a week and tried to you know also hone in on the team USA guys. So I had a perfect opportunity when Yormuth Dennis, which was Ramirez's team, was facing off in Orleans. Jonathan Cannon was on the Hill. Brooks Lee was in the lineup, et cetera, et cetera. Peyton Graham was still on that team. So got a lot of good looks and Louis Ramirez was on the other side and he significantly outpitched Cannon. And I don't think a lot of us were familiar. Um, you know, the breaking ball shape has seemed to take a significant jump from what I had seen last June. That sinking fastball worked just as well. The changeup that you see parachute off with that nasty aren't late arm side run, That pitch was still working the same way that it was. It's been the breaking ball development from Ramirez. that's really stood out to me. And, you know, he's getting results against those pitches, um, you know, for that reason. And it's been primarily, you know, the curveball. It has some sort of slider qualities to it, but it plays well off of um, his changeup that has a a fair amount of sort of natural parachuting action and and drop. He gets the same sort of drop off of the curveball. And it's coming in at 83 miles per hour on average, excuse me, 81 miles per hour on average. So, you know, he's getting decent velocity on the movement. He's mixing it in with a sinker uh, and a changeup. And I think he can give, you know, both handedness batters really different looks. And that's what it's allowing him to navigate some tough lineups and, and really be successful early on here.
0: Yeah. He's uh, he's definitely been a guy that has made people take note early in the season um, the rest of the Long Beach State pitching staff hasn't quite come along uh, at the, the level that we expect they will eventually to. Matt Fields has been really good out of the bullpen, I, I, I should note, but uh, Devereaux Harrison had that tough loss against Sacramento State. Otherwise, has been very good, but you know, still waiting for the rest of the, the Long Beach State rotation kind of to, to fully lock in. If they can do it this weekend, um, you know they have a chance to pick up what would be some really significant wins, but they're they're facing a team that's operating at a really high level in Gonzaga and obviously is is feeling very good coming off of uh, uh, that the series in Stillwater last weekend
1: yeah, and they're sort of you know headed in opposite directions with you know Long Beach State obviously after a, a big series win um, in miss in Mississippi state and you know since then hasn't done a whole lot so you know, maybe their fortunes could potentially change. It could be a big momentum swing for each, each club.
0: Absolutely. Definitely a series to watch, if not one to literally watch, but <laughs> you can pull up the scores. <laughs> keep keep the, keep an eye on the Twitter uh, this weekend for, uh, for that one. Uh, well, Jeff, uh, this has been a lot of fun, uh, covered a lot of ground. There's one more question here uh, that we have to cover. It's the question that we ask all of our guests on the Baseball America College podcast, and that is, what is your favorite sandwich? Uh, whether that's something you're making at home or something that you're eager to, uh, to get from you know, your favorite deli uh, when, when you're going out. But what, what is your favorite sandwich?
1: Wow, this is, um, this is an incredibly tough question. And I am a, I am a big sandwich stan. Um, you know, I get my, I get my fresh ingredients at the beginning of the week and I'm making sandwiches all week as I'm, as I'm working at home, <laughs> but my wife is from, my wife is from New Jersey. I'm from Massachusetts, grew up here, still live here, but my wife is from New Jersey and I have to be honest. Um, if you know what a sloppy Joe is in New Jersey, it is just a tremendous sandwich. If you're, if you're not familiar, some people may call them Jersey Joe's as well. Um, it's not, you know, like the, the, the manwich type of thing that you might be familiar with. It's like a, like a sub sandwich, but it's really on like, um, just like standard bread. And you might even get it as a, as a hoagie as well. But um, it's, it's a really interesting, it's like you get ham and turkey and, you know, there's a lot of coleslaw on it as well. Um, that's kind of a big thing on sandwiches there in New Jersey as well. Um, and then also like Italian subs, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker just for like a, like a classic Italian with everything on it. You know, if you go to a good deli in New Jersey and you're getting, you know, good meats and cheeses and really good bread. Um, and that's usually like my, my, my barometer of how good a sandwich place is is if they can hook up a good Italian sandwich.
0: It is a classic, you know, you've got to, you got to be able to, to do it right. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this Jersey Joe's situation. Yes. Uh, awesome. The, the coleslaw on a sandwich is, uh, you know, underrated, not, not enough, not enough opportunities to put coleslaw on it's, a sandwich. I'm and about.
1: they have different ones. They'll have like roast beef and then like corned beef and Turkey, and they kind of mix it up. So if you buy them, typically you'll buy them in a big group and it's almost like four sandwiches that they combine and like you buy them almost in a plate and then they're like cut into like squares is the way that they're typically presented.
0: And then the other people also, in Jersey are wild. That's what I'm learning right now. <laughs>
1: it's, it's true. I will say, man, I think the pizza and the sandwiches in New Jersey are <laughs> tough to beat, but I will say Philadelphia. That's the other sandwich I should have brought up is uh, if you've had a roast pork sandwich in Philly, I think it's much better than even the cheesesteaks. And I am a guy that's a fan of cheesesteaks, but um, with broccoli, Rob, um, like s- slow, slow cooked, um, uh, 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 pork, and then it's cut in a slicer. And like, they cook these things in like broth. they ever been like the Nixon terminal market, which is like the big one that does it. Like you watch it as they assemble the sandwich and it takes that uh, they fly through it. because It's Philly. Really, they make everything so fast, but like they pull the thing out. For, you got all the, you got all the gravy on it. They slice it up. You know, they throw on sharp provolone, and it's like not processed provolone. It's like a, you know, a shaved piece of of provolone. And then they have this broccoli rabe that's in the same gravy that they cook the meat in, and they slop that on your sandwich. Um, Man versus Food had, I think, ranked it as the number one sandwich in America, and uh, he's not far off. That's another great one.
0: It is. And, you know, the, the cheesesteak is obviously what Philly is famous for, but this is, I, I feel like if you talk to native Philadelphians, uh, a lot of times they're going to actually tell you like, yeah, okay, go here for the cheesesteak, but this is also like, just, just go, go to the next. Yeah. I, it blew my, like, I can remember I was
1: there for a work conference, like for a million years ago and like knowing about the sandwich, finally being able to eat one. And it was just like, oh, I can't wait till I get back and have another one of these. So um, yeah, those are, those are like my class of sandwiches right there. So I always give too many answers.
0: <laughs> no worries. We are, we are big sandwich aficionados. That's the most important question we ask here. Uh, on the Baseball America College podcast, and that man that was just telling you about his favorite classes of sandwiches is Jeff Bontis. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Pontus, BA, and check out his podcast, The 90th Percentile. I want to thank you, uh, Jeff, for for coming on, talking some college baseball. We're going to keep rolling here on the Baseball America College podcast in a second uh, with Bradley Smart here to talk about ACC opening weekend. Uh, So we'll do that here in a second, but first, check this out.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
0: All right. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, like I mentioned earlier, we are going to break down ACC play with ACC start the ACC starts conference play this weekend. And with that happening, we uh, we want to get into it here on the podcast. So today joining me is going to be Bradley Smart, who wrote the ACC preview for us uh, coming into the season. And he wrote several other previews for us. We were very appreciative of getting him in on uh, on the preview action. So now, Bradley, we're welcoming you into the Baseball America College podcast for the first time. Uh, very excited that, that you're here today. Very excited about this ACC slate, both this weekend and for the season. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy that, that we can uh, break that all down here.
3: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Teddy. Uh,
0: I guess, like, let's start with... Uh, a little bit about who you are beyond the fact that you wrote the ACC preview for us this year. Like, why did I ask you to do that? Um, so where can folks find you? And, and just generally, what, what, what you run a Boston college themed newsletter, like a BC bird ball themed newsletter. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, the genesis of that. And uh, you know, I, I guess, yeah, just how you got into that
3: yeah yeah you know i've i've always been uh, a big college baseball fan um and follower going back to you know I, I covered um summer collegiate baseball, which was really you know the first exposure to to collegiate baseball um you know you get guys from all over the country coming in and then you know I ended up at b c uh started started covering the the baseball team there for the heights uh the school's paper, and then you know sort of spun off um after leaving uh, with, with my own thing, which is, which is bird's eye view. Uh, and yeah, so, so I'm covering Boston college, but you know, I, I really am plugged into the ACC as a whole uh, sort of running some, some weekly stories on that. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Bradley smart 15 and then birdseyeviewbc.com.
0: And in addition to writing about BC and plenty of, of chatter about their games over on Twitter, Bradley does a weekly look at the ACC. So we're kind of going to bring that to, uh, to the podcast today. And Bradley, the ACC is uh, an intriguing conference this year. Um, I, it's always an intriguing conference. But, but this year, I think as we get into conference play, I find it to be particularly interesting. We have two undefeated teams still, Clemson and Virginia, both sitting at 12-0 and 0 now. Wake Forest, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech all only have one loss. Uh, BC is the one team that really has uh, struggled out of the gate. They're five and six, and I mean, I can't say I'm surprised by that, uh, but I am a little surprised that BC is the only team sitting around like that right now. Uh, so yeah, a lot of these teams are off to good starts. A lot of these teams, uh, we expect to to continue to to play well at a high level. This is a conference that annually is looking at like nine or 10 bids into the tournament, but has anything stood out to you early in the season? What what kind of early season surprises has the ACC dealt to you here in the first three weeks?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the ACC, like you said, is, is always really interesting um, and, you know, exciting. There's uh, seven ranked teams right now uh, and not in that, in those seven, you know, there's Wake Forest, there's Miami. Um, I think what, what might, stand out the most is, you know, there's a lot of parts of different teams that, you know, we weren't super sure about going into the year. Uh, you get a team like Virginia Tech um, who, you know, they've, uh, they're 10 and one on the year. They sort of really cruise through some, some lower quality opponents, but then, you know, it took two out of three from, from Wright State. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of depth in the conference uh, as there always is. And I think these conference uh, series starting up is really, really going to be interesting because you know a team like Virginia Tech or you know a team like Wake Forest or even go farther down like Duke uh, could really just suddenly start to make some noise I think it's there's a lot of a lot of talent in this conference for
0: me one of the standout things and we talked about this uh on the the Monday edition of the podcast is Clemson being undefeated I I didn't I I was I wasn't sure what to make of Clemson coming into this year and you know they uh, they were coming off of their first losing season in 60 years, and uh, so obviously there's a lot of just uncertainty. If if you're a program that has had so much consistent success, and then you you fall a little bit flat as they did last year, and it's not like they fell on their face; they were just a couple games under 500. But uh, you know, nonetheless, that hadn't happened again in like 60 years there. So to see them come storming out at the start of the season. Uh, is significant for them to sweep South Carolina is significant now Clemson is one of the two teams this weekend not starting conference play they in Louisville uh, do that next week and I'll be interested to see Clemson this week against northeastern uh, you know we again we talked about how they uh, they being northeastern swept NC State last weekend so it's not like Clemson is getting uh, a break this weekend uh, that you know they they have, an extra week to get ready for conference play, but it's not going to be an easy week. And, you know, Louisville is interesting as well, kind of in a similar vein. They aren't undefeated. They weren't quite under 500 last year, but they did miss the tournament. And that's significant for the Cardinals. Um, They're off to a pretty solid start at nine and three. They beat TCU on Tuesday, barely. Uh, they, They got out to a huge lead. TCU came back, but Louisville holds them off and they're nine and three now going into this weekend against Michigan. And, let's uh let's clear Louisville out of the way here since they aren't starting conference play this weekend, Bradley. What, what, a, what are the Cardinals? You know, I, I just feel like I still don't know much of anything about what Louisville is to this point. I mean, have you been able to, to pick up on anything yet?
3: Yeah, I think, I think Louisville is really interesting. Um, they didn't get off to a great start. I mean, they're nine and three now, but you know, they dropped two of the first three. And then uh, I think they dropped the game to, to Dartmouth. Um, but you know they've won six straight, and that that win over TCU, like you said, was not easy. I think they gave up like eight unanswered runs or something like that. And I think I think with Louisville, it's interesting because unlike some of the other teams uh, in the conference, you know they didn't they didn't hit the transfer portal at all. Um, they really it's a lot of guys that have been there and are you know stepping into new roles. And I think you know considering Louisville's like pedigree. Um, I, I could definitely see them starting to sort of gel. Um, they have some good uh, guys on the mound. Uh, Jared Poland's had a good start. Um, and I think they're one of those teams that could really get better as the year goes on.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's intriguing that Louisville didn't hit the portal because they lost some players in the portal. You know, I saw Georgia Tech last weekend playing Georgia and Tim Borden the second looked fantastic for Georgia tech. And that's a guy who started his career at Louisville and just never quite found it there. And now he's, you know, starting at, at second base for, for Georgia tech and uh, hit his way into the lineup and, you know, isn't looking like he's coming out anytime soon. And, um, you know, Louisville's way is to, to internally develop. Uh, And I, I think that Michigan this weekend poses an intriguing test Uh, For both teams, I I think hopefully we can learn a little bit more about both of these teams here uh, this weekend in Louisville. Uh, All right, so this weekend, for for teams that are starting conference play, uh, there's some really interesting series. Virginia is playing at Duke. Uh, Again, Virginia undefeated. Duke uh, has been a little up and down to this point, but uh, certainly a talented team. Wake Forest is hosting... Florida State, to me, that's just a a fascinating contrast of styles. Florida State, led by its pitching staff, especially the one-two punch of Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard. And Wake Forest is, uh, you know, a a very powerful offense. And they're going to an offensive park in Winston-Salem. So how does that all play out? Uh, You have Virginia Tech going to Georgia Tech. There should be plenty of runs scored in that series. Two really good offenses, uh, going at it, and then in Raleigh you have Notre Dame going to NC State. Uh, NC State looking its wounds a little bit after an 0-4 week. They did beat UNC Greensboro uh, in the midweek to to end the losing streak, but you know that's a top 25 matchup uh, and, and two of the best teams from the ACC last season going at it uh, in Raleigh. So of all of that, Bradley, what uh, what what kind of grabs you the most this weekend.
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's a really good slate. Um I think, you know, I think the Notre Dame NC State one was one of those that kind of lost a bit of its uh, you know, luster or or whatnot after that that weekend for the Wolfpack where it, and the the game before too where it just seemed like they weren't on. Um, so I think the one I'm most looking forward to seeing is Florida State Wake Forest. Uh Wake Forest isn't ranked um but you know they just just had their first loss of the season um against Coastal Carolina, which you know kind of seemed like their first real test. They've they've been beating up on some some subpar teams. Uh but I think it is I, like I you think said, that was
0: their first road game too.
3: Yep. Yep. Yeah they've they've had I think they've I forget the number that they've won in a row at home. Um but yeah you know I think it is a contrast of styles and I think you know floor, it it's gonna be one of those series where I feel like if it turns into a, a slug fest um, like say you know Florida State starters aren't on or something I think Wake Forest has a good chance of getting a really big series victory um, but you know this this Florida State staff is is very good
0: yeah I, I think it's important for Wake Forest to get off to a good start here uh, because you know you don't want they need to disrupt what Florida State is trying to do on the mound they, they need to to get those starters out of the game get into the bullpen like really muddy things up there Wake Forest can pitch. You know, Teddy McGraw uh, is is really good for them. Rhett Louder is really good for them. Eric Adler is, you know, one of the best closers in the conference and and beyond. But they they really need, you know, those guys to step up. But but if they can get their offense going, you know, Florida State played a tough series last weekend against Cal. Cal is not the best team in the Pac-12. Joe and I have had on like argument throughout the offseason about how good Cal really is. And I finally just gave up uh, trying to convince him otherwise <laughs> a week ago, because they lost a series at home to Illinois, Chicago, but then they went on the road and they played really well in Tallahassee. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what to make of Cal right now, but the, the point is they had to really fight through that series. And it was, you know, a very low scoring series, but they came out with the wins. I I, I think the way you beat Florida state on the weekends is to, to try and push, push those starters out of the way and, and, you know, really test a Florida state offense, which is very new look this year. They hit the portal. They brought in Alex Terrell and Jordan Carrion and um, you know, just see what Florida state's offense really is all about. I, I think that's what Wake Forest has to do this
3: weekend. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and the other arm for Wake Forest, Josh Hartle, is off to just a terrific start this season. Um, and this is, you know, a really big uh, early test for him. Uh, you know, Florida State team starting an ACC play. You never really know how that first ACC opener will go. Um, the other sort of interesting element of this is for all the attention that, you know, Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard get and rightfully get, you know, Ross Dunn had a really good start against Cal, um, and if if he's on, you know, if Wade can't get much in the first two games and, you know, Dunn turns in a, a good outing, this could very quickly be a, an easy Florida State series.
0: Virginia goes to Duke, I feel like, every other year to start ACC play. And obviously they can't start at Duke every year because they, they go back and forth on, on who has the hook game. But I feel like anytime time Virginia's at Duke, it's the first weekend of ACC play. Nobody showed me the schedules to disprove that statement. Uh, but <laughs> this weekend at the DBAP, Duke gets an undefeated UVA team. I'm not going to sit here and ask, is, is UVA going to still be undefeated on Monday? That, that's not really what this is about. UVA has not been pushed yet, I would say. They, they certainly haven't played a team as good as Duke. Their schedule to this point has not been exemplary at all. They have played on the road before. That's like the best thing I can say about their schedule is that they did leave Charlottesville and they did play a Big Ten team, albeit Penn State. Duke is going to be a different challenge. This is a team that made regionals last year, consistently is a regional caliber team. Uh, they're dealing with some stuff. Uh, Duke is, you know, they uh they, they haven't had a perfect start to the year, but this was this is a chance to, you know, really rise up and and you know remind people why Duke was a team coming into this year that was kind of a fringy top 25 team.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really interesting series. Cause like you said, Virginia, they really haven't been tested. I think they've scored double digit runs in like 10 games. They've just That's been like 10 straight games or something. They've been in cruise control. Uh, and you know, I don't, I, Virginia met Virginia's numbers and everything are, are a lot better than Duke's right now, as you would expect uh, with that setup. Um, but you know, Duke has guys like on the mound Marcus Johnson, Billy Seidel, and Jimmy Loper are off to really good starts. I think it'll be one of those series where Duke can kind of get a lot of momentum or sort of be looking up at a at a big hole early in the year
0: I, I this side of the the conference the the coastal division is very intriguing, you know because you have Virginia uh off to this undefeated start north carolina uh surprising some folks uh off to such a a fast start as well and into the top 25 that that was a team that we did not rank coming into the season that i didn't really think was a regional team um virginia tech we talked about off to a fast start georgia tech uh of course playing very well and and miami has been pretty good but is coming off of a tough series loss i mean if uh, yeah. To, to your point, if, if you're Duke uh, and you fall behind in this division, you know, I mean, it, 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 could really snowball on you. So getting, getting your home series here against uh, what right now looks to be the best team in the division is what uh, would be, would be significant. Uh, what about that other uh, coastal division showdown with, uh, with the two techs? I mean, I saw Georgia tech last weekend. I have not had the opportunity to watch hardly any Virginia tech. I just, you know, see the scores, and they keep putting up a bunch of runs, and, uh, you know, they have really nice offensive pieces, and that series win against Wright State, like, I know Wright State's record is abysmal right now, but they've played Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, and Oklahoma State, like, not going to hold that against the Raiders. That was a solid win for the Hokies. I I just think this is, again, a, a, a much bigger test going on the road.
3: Yeah, I think this is a big, chance for us to get a sense of who Virginia tech's going to be. Um, you said offensive fireworks, I think in the the beginning, when we were mentioning this series and it's, it definitely shapes up, uh, to be that, uh, Georgia tech, I think has the better staff, um, you know, chance Huff is going to be the best pitcher that the Hokies have faced so far. Uh, and I think, you know, I, th- it's a, it's another early coastal division matchup, um, Virginia Tech's got some, some guys in their lineup that can do a lot of damage. You know, Jack Hurley, Gavin Cross, uh, Eduardo Malinowski from, from Penn. He just had a, a massive weekend against Wright State. And, you know, I think it might come down to which team can, you know, keep, well, obviously it comes down to which team can keep the other team more in check uh, on the scoreboard. Uh, but I think this could be a really uh, big series for Virginia Tech um, if they can go down in and, and keep the bats going
0: yeah i I think that it really does come down to who pitches better here and you know we saw what chance Huff was all about last Friday night um, Georgia Tech is going to need to you know keep building on the rest of the the pitching staff like again we talked about uh, coming out of that series that they did a lot of good things but still showed plenty of room for improvement and, and they're just going to need to keep keep building on that uh, all right let's uh let's go back to that series, that top 25 series um, in Raleigh, Notre Dame, NC State, Notre Dame, you know, is a team that obviously I I have felt very strongly about for more than a year now about how how good they can be. I know that there's still a lot of skepticism uh, from some corners of the college baseball world out there. I don't think that it's coming from anyone in the ACC. I think it's people looking from the outside and, I understand why it's happening, but you know, this weekend it does have a big opportunity. It goes on the road, uh, to a, to an NC state team that, you know, was exposed a little bit last weekend, but still you have to feel good about what they can be offensively. I just think Northeastern kind of showed that a, that there are, there's still a lot of room for growth for the Wolfpack and understandably. So they're a new offense, uh, but B that there is, uh, you know, maybe they they showed some uh some ways to to match up against against those NC state hitters
3: yeah and I, I think Notre Dame is gonna try and just come in and do pretty much the same thing uh that northeastern did and that's lean on a really strong weekend rotation i mean Aiden Tyrell John michael Bertrand and uh Austin temple have been fantastic this season uh granted you know Notre Dame hasn't played the toughest schedule yet but they've uh, they've all I think they're all going like six innings, pretty much a start, um, not really getting teams aren't getting to Notre Dame's bullpen early in games. And, you know, that's been enough. I think uh, Notre Dame's coach called the the lineup and sort of the offense, a, a work in progress. They're still winning games. They're getting it done. Um, and I think if, if that lineup really can start clicking, uh, there's been a slow start for some guys like Jack Brannigan, Spencer Myers, if the Irish lineup can can kick into gear, obviously overcoming Mika Cavadas's uh, drafting um, was, is tough. But if they can really start putting more runs on the board, th- this Notre Dame team is terrifying. They have good pitching. They play defensively as well as anyone in the country. And if they're scoring a lot of runs, it's, it's going to be tough to beat them.
0: Yeah, this is a, a Notre Dame team that did not post a whole bunch of runs last weekend in Minnesota. I don't know how much of that is U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, I you know it, it looks like the ballpark there plays really big I ballpark and definite air quotes since it's a football stadium <laughs> and like there's no way that we can maybe by now there's been enough data because they play a bunch of d3 games there as well you know basically everyone in Minnesota uses that in the early season no matter no matter whether we're talking about the gophers or or anyone else they they all get in there so maybe if we examined all of that we would find out whether that's like how much of a pitcher's park that place plays as a, as a baseball stadium. It seems like it's not an easy place to hit though. It certainly wasn't easy for Notre Dame last weekend. They swept the weekend uh, against their big 10 competition. Uh, And if they can bring that pitching to NC state this weekend, I think they're going to have a really good shot to, you know, play really well in Raleigh. It's a little bit different the way that they're going about it on the mound this year, because you're right. they, They have been getting, extended starts from all of their starters whereas a year ago there was uh john michael bertrand going extended but otherwise it was a little more piggybacking and uh just uh, more four inning stints at a time but but they they really seem to have hit on a rotation that um may very well be i you know i, I was about to say the best in the conference florida state has more stuff but like what notre dame is doing on the mound right now you know, they' It's close to the best in the conference. If it's not the best in the conference,
3: yeah. I mean, anytime you can just trot out three guys that you know will just work multiple innings or work long into games, uh, I think they have the three of them. You know, they're all over 15 innings. Uh, they all, I think, it, they combine for like 60 strikeouts to like nine walks or something. It's it's really big in, in college baseball, obviously, when you have these these good starters and you're not, you don't have to, you know, overwork the bullpen or anything. Um, and so it's definitely a recipe for success with those three. I mean, their third, their Sunday starter was the the ACC pitcher of the week uh, last week after his outing against Minnesota.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that just speaks to, to the depth they're running out there, which uh, again is, is exceptional. Uh, okay. So that's this weekend, Bradley. Um, what about long-term we picked, Notre Dame that was a bit of a collective effort between you me and Joe to pick Notre Dame to win the conference in the preseason are you still feeling good about that and is there is there anyone that you think has materially changed their long-term outlook since you uh since you wrote up the 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 preview a few weeks ago
3: yeah so I think it's still Notre Dame I think with the, when the lineup starts to click, I, I'm sure. it will. I mean, and, and it still has like, they're, it's not like they're not scoring runs outside of that series um, in the the football stadium. Uh, they've scored a good bit of runs. They've, they've pushed uh, and sort of cruised. And so I think they, they should still be the favorite. I think just the depth of the conference might've been more than I was expecting. Uh, you know, teams like Wake Forest, uh, Clemson, um, just sort of up and down. I mean, we know the ACC is going to have a lot of bids and we know, you know, teams can come out of nowhere near the end, like Duke did last year, uh, to to breeze through the the ACC tournament. Um, and I think you know this is a big weekend to kind of get a sense of, all right, what's the what's the measuring stick uh, for the weekends to follow?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm just looking forward to again to see these teams, uh, you know, match up against each other. Always always a good time, and and I'm glad we've got some very intriguing matchups. Uh, throughout the conference here on, uh, on opening weekend. Uh, okay, so last question for you, Bradley. We ask all of our guests on the Baseball America College podcast this question. It's really, frankly, the most important question we have for the podcast, and that is, what is your favorite sandwich? Uh, as Joe will tell you, this doesn't have to be limited to a sandwich you make at home, like it could be that, or it could be something that you go out Uh, to a certain restaurant for, but, but what, what are you thinking when I, when I say favorite sandwich? And
3: I'm, I'm going to come across as, as very, very basic with the answer to this question, but my most trusted sandwich companion uh, throughout my whole life has been a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I, I can't, can't back down from that.
0: I I mean, that is a a classic sandwich. Absolutely. You are far from the first person to, uh, to select that, uh, if Joe were here, he would really like get into the, like how you go about making your PB&J because Joe has some very like serious opinions about this. I personally don't. <laughs> uh, but I will ask what jelly are you going with? Because that obviously is, is, uh, a very delicate subject matter for a lot of people.
3: Yeah, that, that is, that is a tough one. My preferred jelly. Uh, I don't have it right now. Uh, cause it's, from uh, a place back in Maine, uh, this uh, restaurant I used to work at, and some other people in my family have worked at Dutch's uh, Portland Blueberry uh, Jam, and it's delicious. If you're ever in Portland, I recommend Dutch's. Uh, shameless plug there, but that would be my my go-to for a a perfect uh, PB and J sandwich.
0: Alrighty, that is see that that just the whole sandwich up a level because we're no now we're not talking about grape or strawberry what we're, we're not talking about a basic PPJ and j anymore so uh yeah. I, I i like the pick thing.
3: yeah elevate it a bit
0: <laughs> all right well thank you very much for uh for joining me here today bradley to to break down the acc again folks uh you can find bradley's work uh when he's not writing at baseballamerica.com. america.com uh, you can find him on twitter at bradley smart 15 and uh, the website for his newsletter is birdsivbc.com. That'll do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you all uh, for listening. You can track all of the action throughout the weekend at baseballamerica.com. Joe will be back in action at some point. Hopefully he'll be back in action on Monday. So we'll be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, So if you are subscribed to that podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you use, uh, check your feeds for that on Monday. And if you're not subscribed yet, now is the perfect time to subscribe as we go twice a week throughout the college season. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I would normally say for Joe, but Joe's not here. So for me, for Jeff, for Bradley, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.